0: Our God and Father, Lord, you are glorious and you're awesome. And this morning, Lord, we pause to bow our heads and even our hearts and to recognize your greatness. Oh, Lord, there is no one like you. We are very grateful for all that you have done for us and our blessed Lord Jesus Christ. We're very grateful for the salvation that you have given us through him. And Lord, we simply want to (coughs) thank you and we want to enjoy the goodness of your blessing to us. And so I pray today, Lord, for those of us who have gathered, who are in the sound of uh, the hearing of my voice, that God, as we look into your word today, we would learn to enjoy your goodness. And Father, that we would learn to treasure the gospel, to treasure our Lord Jesus and all that he is to us. God, that we would delight in Him, that we would delight in all that You have done. These are marvelous things, and we do praise You. We thank You for the many, many profound and rich truths that Your Word expresses about Your purposes and Your plans through the Gospel. We pray that as we hear and learn, That, Lord, you would uh, deeply root them in our hearts and in our understanding. That these might be the ground of our joy, the ground of our fulfillment. And, Lord, may your glory and your glory alone be the thing that motivates us to serve you, to serve your church, the thing that motivates us, God, to love you and to love your church. We pray, Lord, that you would strengthen our faith, our faith, that you would comfort us, those of us who are grieving, those of us who are struggling, God, that you would be our refuge, that you would be our helper and come to our aid. We thank you for all that you are to us. We honor and we praise you this day in Christ's name, amen. Okay. I recommended this book at the last uh, week at the end of last week. It's called "Not Guilty" in this publication. However, it's it's a reprint of uh, a book that was written in the early 1800s by a guy by the name of James Buchanan. And what it is is it's a concise um, study of the doctrine of justification by faith. And um, I wanted to tell you that. The text of this book is located on my website in PDF form, and you can download it for free. It's at Heaven's Light. You hit the Resources button, and you go down about uh, halfway down the Resources page, and there's a little picture, not of this book, but of one that looks just like it, and it says The Doctrine of Justification by James Buchanan. And uh, right next to that, there's a link where you can hit that, and you'll get the whole book on PDF form, okay? And uh, so you can get it for free right there. Or you can get this at uh, several of the online bookstores, um, including christianbook.com or even at Amazon. You can find this guy. Um, This is really, really good, by the way. So I just want to recommend that to you. Let's see. Okay, so uh, one other thing I wanted to talk to you about is kind of where we're headed for the rest of the year. You know that our class here runs through May, and, uh, and then we knock off for the summer. So between now and May, what I'm, I'm hoping to do is move into two, two areas. One is <clears throat> I want us to get a grasp on the benefits and the privileges that are held out in the gospel. And so I'm going to be talking a lot about gospel promises and so on and so forth in the upcoming weeks. And then after that, I want to talk to you about the gospel in our modern context. And I want to talk to you just about how the gospel relates to people in the postmodern age and how they view uh, truth and how they view things so that. Or should I say how we view things, since we live in a postmodern age, and we are all affected by postmodernism, if you will, some more than others. Uh, but the point is just that uh, there there are, are many things that we can understand by understanding the character of our age, the character of our time, in how we can be effective ministers of the gospel. And so I want to be able to talk to you to some degree about that. You might you might remember I recommended a book to you called *The Reason for God* by Tim Keller. This is a book where he is effectively in the book writing to postmoderns about the gospel, and and uh, if you will, he's kind of trying to address, you know, the most prominent questions that postmoderns bring. When you begin to witness to them about Christ, and uh, he should know he's a Presbyterian pastor in New York City in Manhattan, and he uh, has been very successful in the gospel ministry there in New York. And so, uh, anyway, that's a, a great resource. But I kind of want to go there, and I want to I want to talk to some level or degree about some of the principles and and uh, of how the gospel. Uh, challenges postmodern thinking and kind of giving us a reference for where people are coming from when they ask the kinds of questions they ask and if you will, how we can kind of answer those questions. Um, of course, we know that revelation really only comes by God. But he uses us as, as an instrument, as a means of reaching people with the gospel, right? The gospel is the power of God unto salvation, but it's communicated through words. Amen, And sometimes it's communicated through actions. And so anyway, I want to kind of go there too, if you will, toward the latter part of the, the class. And so that's kind of where we're headed. Uh, we'll probably be another week or two in, in uh, the doctrine of justification. Then we'll be moving on to, the, to those things I discussed. Okay, so that brings us back to uh, page 101 where we have now been talking about the elements of justification. And you remember last week I brought up the Westminster Confession of Faith, and I brought up the, um, the Westminster Larger and Shorter Catechisms, and I was beginning to expound on question number 32 from the Westminster, which states, what is justification? So if you will, it's just a straightforward question what is justification and of course in the biblical sense what is justification and the answer there is justification is an act of God's free grace wherein he pardons all our sins and accepts us as righteous in his sight only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us and received by faith alone And so, if you will, um, I kind of took that answer to that question. I broke it down into four parts. And I'm going to use those four parts as a little outline to look at what the Scripture has to say about these points. Okay? It would be one thing to say, well, the Westminster Divines decided the justification was this, that, and the other. Right? It's another thing entirely to say that whatever they said is consistent with the Bible. Are you with me? So, if you will... I think you'll find with me that these things are entirely consistent with the Bible. And we're going to look and see where and why. So then, this statement, the answer to the question, what is justification, gets right to the heart of what justification in the biblical sense really is. It is broken down into four parts. So justification is an act of God's free grace wherein he pardons all our sins and accepts us as righteous in his sight only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us and received by faith alone. This description of justification speaks to us clearly about the basic elements of justification. It tells us of the nature of justification, of what it is like, and how it functions in God's plan of redemption. With these elements in mind, let's look a little closer and understand how these are described in the Bible. So, justification is an act of God's free grace. The scripture clearly ascribes justification as being an act of God, okay? So, here's the the basic truth. Justification is something that God does, not something that man does. God is the one that justifies. It's God's work. And so... You know, there's more to that than just thinking, well, it's something God does. Okay? Because, for instance, think about the idea that anything that God does is absolutely perfect. Are you with me? It's kind of like, it kind of goes without saying, if you believe the Bible is the Word of God, right, then you believe that everything contained therein is infallible and inerrant. Amen? Why? Well, because it's God's Word. God doesn't speak things that fail. God doesn't speak things that have error. True? God does everything perfect. And, and so, in fact, he is perfection. He's the standard of perfection. He, 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 he is inherently, in and of himself, the perfect one. Amen? And so, if you will, <clears throat> when we think about acts of God, Okay, We have to think about them in the sense of that God does things perfectly to accomplish the purpose for which he does them. Right? He's not like man. He doesn't mess up. He doesn't make mistakes. Right? He doesn't uh, uh, get halfway done with his project and then scratch his head a little bit and figure, well, you know what? I guess let him think about that big rock in the way there. You know? He's not like man. He doesn't try to dig the foundation for a house and, get halfway down through the basement and realize there's a boulder the size of Mount Rushmore sitting in the middle of his basement, right? He knows all of that beforehand because he's perfect in knowledge. Are you with me? He he. God is, is perfect in every way, in every sense. So that brings new meaning to the idea that it is God that justifies. Are you with me? You understand what I'm saying? When God justifies, the result is justification. When when God justifies, the result is perfect justification. And so justification is an act of God. It's something that God does. And this is what the scripture says very clearly, Romans 8.33. Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Okay? And, of course, in that context, you get Paul's meaning, right? He's saying, look, if God has chosen his people, and then he's chosen to justify his people, who in the world is going to bring a charge against them? Right? The point is, somebody stronger than God? Somebody with more authority than God? Who, who, who is going to undo what God has done? Are you with me? So, family, rest in this. Your justification is an act of God. Who shall bring a charge against you? Are you with me? And, and so this is kind of where I'm going. It's an act of God. It's God who justifies. And, if you will, it's perfect. And the other thing is, is that we're justified in the sight of God. He's the one who's creating the standards by which we're judged. Are you with me? It's all flowing from him. <clears throat> Salvation is wholly the work of God. Okay? And in Galatians three eight, the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, All the nations shall be blessed in you. And so here the scripture says that God would justify the Gentiles. So who justified the Gentiles? God did. It's an act of God. And of course, that's just two examples. There are many in the, in the Bible. As the scripture describes this act, it is clearly described as flowing from God's gracious character and identifies it as a free gift at no cost given to the beneficiary. Okay, so when, when the scripture talks about God justifying, it relates it to his grace, it relates it as a gratuitous act. It's something that He gives freely. It's something that flows out of God's grace, which means that He's going to give favor that's not earned. Right? It's unmerited favor. It's it's favor that God just freely bestows. Okay? On the contrary, right? We don't deserve God's favor. We deserve God's wrath. Instead, God gives us justification. Are you with me? Mm -hmm. And so this thing flows out of God's gratuitous nature. It flows out of his free, loving benevolence. Are you with me? And it's also identified in the scripture as a free gift. And if it's a gift, that means you don't don't earn it and you you don't buy it. You don't earn it and you don't buy it. Right? It's a free gift. If, it, if, it, if, if you bought it, it's not a gift. If you earned it, it's not a gift. Are you with me? But justification in the scripture is related to God's grace and is identified as a free gift. Justification in the Bible is always identified as free and always associated with God's grace. Now, I want to just, to be sure, help you to understand that the term justify or justification in the Bible is not always talking about the legal declaration or the legal term of justification. The word to justify is used in various other contexts. Okay, But when we're talking about justification in the sight of God concerning sins and related to salvation in Jesus Christ, it's always, always related to God's grace and it's always foreseen as a free gift for instance in Romans three twenty four and following there it says that we are being justified as a gift by his grace now right out of the words of scripture family how are we justified as a gift by his grace okay those are the words right out of scripture and you see how clear the scripture is about this it's, it's not cloudy it's all, at all. It's crystal clear. You, you need only examine the words of Scripture to understand this truth. It's a gift, and it comes from God's grace. It's freely given. Through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in His blood through faith. This was to demonstrate His righteousness, because in the forbearance of God He passed over the sins previously committed, for the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. You see, when God justifies, he's just. He's carrying out an act of divine justice. Okay? But he also, here in this scripture, is identified as the justifier. Okay? It is God who justifies, and he does it. As a gift by his grace. Okay? Romans five sixteen and 17. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For on the one hand, the judgment arose from one transgression <clears throat> resulting in condemnation. But on the other hand, the free gift arose from many transgressions resulting in justification. For if by the transgression of the one, death reigned through the one... Much more, those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Okay? Right in this context, you see righteousness and justification being used as synonyms. You follow me? Romans five sixteen and 17. In verse 16, it's called justification, and it says that that is the result of the free gift. In verse 17, it calls it the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. Okay? And so, if you will, righteousness, right standing with God, and justification are both identified in this passage as a free gift, which is, if you will, the abundance of the grace of God. Okay? And then also in Titus chapter 3, verses 5 through 7, he saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by his grace, we might be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Now here again is another passage in a completely different book of the Bible. Talking about being justified, how? By His grace. Okay? You understand what that means, right? It's freely given. It's freely given. So then, justification is an act of God's free grace. Now, can you see how the Westminster Divines had that just right? Yep. And very concise? I mean, you really couldn't say that in two shorter of words than to say it that way, right? Justification is an act of God's free grace. It's expressing very important things about justification. And as we've seen, it comes right out of the text of Scripture. Are you with me? Everybody see that? You know, when you're thinking through biblical doctrines, this is how you need to be discerning. You need to see biblical doctrine right in the text of Scripture. If you don't see it right in the text of Scripture, that ought to be a flag that goes up. It doesn't mean that something's not there, okay? But it, it's, it's, it's an indication to you that you need to be extra discerning. Are you with me? For instance, like the, the idea of the Trinity, okay? Of course, the word Trinity is not used in the Scripture. But it's, it's obvious, because God is triune, <laughs> that he's expressed in the Scripture in a trinity, Okay? And so, if you will, um, <clears throat> when we're looking at that doctrine, we have to be extra careful. We have to pay very close attention to see that doctrine in Scripture. Well, if you will, talking about the fact that justification is an act of God's free grace, this is something where we look at the text of Scripture, and there it is, explicit in the text. Are you with me? That's the difference between something being explicit. And something being implicit. Okay? (coughs) This means it's implied by the text. This means the text is speaking it clearly, exposing it. Okay? It's explicitly saying something crystal clear. Okay? So those are important things in rightly understanding the truth. So justification is an act of God's free grace wherein He pardons all our sins. Now, how many sins is all of our sins? Every all of them. Every one of them. Right? You understand the term all, don't you? Past, present, it's, it's encompassing every. Amen. Yes, past, present, and future. I mean, when God justified me... Right? That was 2000 years before I was born. All of my sins were were yet future. True? And so if you will, it's it's an important thing to understand, but wherein he pardons all our sins. Justification consists first in God pardoning our sins. It is a legal forensic term dealing with the law And God is pictured as the judge. Okay? So, you know, we need to think about it like this. We need to think about justification in this sense. Anytime you have a law, this is a legal matter. And whenever you have a law, right and you have a legal matter, you have a what? A judge. (laughs) And the basis on which you're judged by the judge, who, by the way, is the authority, right? The basis on which you're judged by the judge is what? The The law. And that is a legal matter. Are you with me? And so really, the judge is is the implementer of the authority which is bound up in the law, right? Because what's going to be happened is you're going to be brought before the judge, and there's going to be an accusation that's made against you. And then in the tribunal of the courtroom, it's going to be weighed whether or not you're actually guilty of the transgression of the law that you've been accused of, Right? And, if you will, that is the proceedings in the tribunal. The proceedings in the tribunal are the presentation of evidence to see whether or not you are actually guilty or not guilty, right? And then furthermore, what's going to happen as a result of that decision, you're going to be sentenced, right? You're going to receive a a declaration either of your innocence Or, you're going to receive a declaration of your justification. Or, you're going to be found guilty, and you're going to be sentenced within, again, the bounds of the law. You with me? So, anytime we're talking about law, we're talking about legal, we're talking about forensic, which effectively means the same thing, okay? We're talking about a judge. We're talking about authority. We're talking about binding rules, okay? And that law is what defines the boundaries of that tribunal, okay? Okay. So, when you think of justification in the biblical sense, okay, we're talking about something that is a legal matter. And you need to understand it that way because that's exactly the way it's presented in the text of Scripture. One of God's attributes is justice, okay? These are all matters of what? Justice. Why? Because we're going to do what is just or equitable, right, according to the law. These are matters of justice. And when we speak about the character of God, he's called in Scripture, right, as the just one. He's one who is just. He's equitable in all of his ways, unlike man, who is unjust, right? God is just. God is righteous. He's holy. He's perfect. He's altogether just in all his ways. Everything God does is perfectly just. God never violates his justice. He cannot violate his justice because it is part of his character. It's part of his nature to be just. Okay? You understand? God would cease to be God if he were not just. And it is impossible for God to cease to be God. It's rule number one in theology. Okay? It it is impossible for God to cease to be God. Okay? And so in the same sense, it is impossible for God to do something that is unjust. The universe would unravel. (laughs) I mean, think about it. It, it, You can't even speak about it as something that's even a possibility because it's not. Okay? So um, one of God's attributes is justice, and he is seen as holy and just, ruling over the world with justice in the Scripture. Throughout the scripture, God is seen as the only lawgiver and judge. For instance, in Genesis 18.25, he is referred to um, by Abraham. He says there, Far be it from thee to do such a thing, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous and the wicked are treated alike. Far be it from thee, shall not the judge of all the earth deal justly. Okay, And, and there Abraham calls God, the judge of all the earth, right? And then again in Isaiah 33, 20, the Lord is identified there. For the Lord is our judge. The Lord is our lawgiver. The Lord is our king, and he will save us. You might be interested to know that the American three-part governmental system was built off the foundation of that verse of scripture in Isaiah. And you have the three branches of American government which flow out of that. But uh, the point is that here in the scripture, God is identified as our judge. And he's identified as our only Lawgiver. You understand? So the law has an origin. The origin of the law is God. Okay? And so here's another thing for you to understand about the law of God. Now we're talking about the Torah The first five books of the Bible, specifically that list of commandments that is given therein, okay, summed up in the Ten Commandments, okay. So the Ten Commandments is not the law of God. That's only a summation of the law of God. It's a summation of the 640 commandments that are contained within the first five books of the Bible, okay. And so, but but here's the thing: the law of God through the mouth of Moses is an expression of the character and the nature of God. Okay, so that God is the lawgiver, And when he gives the law, he gives an expression of what justice is. He gives an expression of how justice is lived out and played out in corporate society and as individuals relate to one another. Okay, it's also then the basis by which the priest who in the time of the children of Israel, when the law was given, the priest was the judge, and they would bring the matters to the priest, and the priests would make judgment concerning whatever issue there was, right? Of course, in the very early days, they were all coming to Moses, and they were driving the guy batty, right? And so Jethro's advice was, hey, you need to get you a bunch of judges together, and... They worked on that for a while, and then finally when they got into the land, the way that this system worked was they would go see the priest, and the priest would make a judgment according to their system. You see this all the way through that age into the time of Christ, where when they had a judgment and proceeding that required an appeal, right? It was brought to who? The high priest, right? Which is where they brought Jesus. Remember? They brought him to the house of Caiaphas, the high priest. Because they wanted to kill him. And there was a tribunal that night in the court of Caiaphas' house. Are you with me? And so, if you will, even in that later time, they were making these judgments and holding these tribunals according to the law of God. Okay? And uh, so... The, the, the point is that God is our lawgiver, and his law is an expression of his character, of his nature, of what is truly just and righteous and equitable and fair. Okay? James 4.12 also identifies God this way. It says, there is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and to destroy. Okay, And so the point is, is that God is the only lawgiver there is, and he's the only judge. In this sense, our sins are brought ultimately and finally to the authority of the judge of all the earth to be dealt with with finality. Okay. Okay, so now think about this. When we, when we say, what is justification? And we answer and we say, it's an act of God's free grace wherein he pardons all our sins. Okay, You have to understand now, this matter is a legal proceeding in the tribunal of God, who is the judge of all the earth. So when we say that God is the one who's pardoning our sins, family, if, if God gives a pardon, what do you suppose is the result? You're pardoned, right? And is anybody going to overturn that? Here's what it means. Freedom. Freedom. That's what a pardon is. That's the result of a pardon, (laughs) right? Freedom from what? Freedom from the consequences and the penalties of the law, right? Didn't mean you didn't commit the crime. It just means that the lawgiver has set you free or the one who holds the authority of the law, okay? So, uh, but in this case, God is both. (laughs) He's the lawgiver and the judge. And so when he gives a pardon, guess what? You're pardoned, okay? So, I want you to understand this thing. When we talk about God pardoning our sins, we're talking about something that happens with finality. There isn't a higher authority to to appeal to. When God makes a judgment, okay, that thing is good as done, all right? Justification concerning our sins before God then is a legal or forensic proceeding in God's tribunal. It is here where we receive a pardon from God, which means a release from the penalty of our offenses, a free remission of the penalty or consequences of sin. Okay? Look up pardon in the dictionary. Here's what it says. A release from the penalty of an offense. A release from the penalty of an offense. So if you think about it in this sense, you're in prison. Why are you in prison? Because you broke the law. And the judge said your sentence is to go to prison. And so there you are in that prison and you are held what? In bondage. You're held captive by the authority of the law. And the governor gets into office and you're his old buddy and so he sends down a pardon, and guess what? So even though that judge said, man, you're going to spend 27 years behind bars, right? This governor holds the power and the authority over that judge, over that, that uh, consequence of that sin, of that crime, okay? And he holds the power to say, let the man go free. So even though you're guilty, and even though you ought to be there for 27 years, because that's what the judge decided you were supposed to do, the governor holds the, the ability to pardon. And when he pardons, guess what? You go free. Okay? You understand? The concept of a pardon doesn't mean you're not guilty. It doesn't mean you're not guilty. What it means is your sentence has been commuted. Your sentence has been wiped away. Now there's no more sentence. So what do you do? You go free. There's no 14 years left here. Okay? We're done. The sentence has been commuted. You're pardoned. Now you're set free. Okay? It's a release from the consequences. It's a release from the penalty. Okay? You understand this guy's in prison. That's the consequences of his crime. Okay? We are therefore set free from the bondage or power of sin because the consequences of the law have been foregone by the lawgiver and the judge. Okay? So I want you to think about this for a minute. 1 Corinthians 15.56 There is a very profound statement about the law and about death. Look what it says. It says, The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, Who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now think about what's being said in this verse of scripture. The sting of death is sin. The sting of death is sin. Let me try to illustrate that for you. We we talk about a sting with a venomous creature. Right? Let's use a bee sting for an example. Okay? And the bee, bee comes and it stings you. Right? Now... The, the stinging of the bee is not the result, which we might call being swollen, <laughs> or it's not the result of what the venom in the stinger does to you, right? You with me? So here's the deal. The result of death was wrought by the sting of sin. Are you with me? It's the sin that you committed that brings about the results or the consequences, which is death. You understand what I'm saying? You understand what the scripture is saying here? The sting of death is sin. The initial blow, the thing that it releases its venom in you to begin the death process is sin. Okay? Now look what it says. The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. Okay? Now, what what is the scripture saying here? The power of sin is is the law. Well, you understand? It's the wages of sin which is death. Those wages being spoken clearly of by God, where? In his law. (laughs) Right? So the the fact of the matter is, it's the law that is holding over us the condemnation of death. That is the consequence for sinning. Okay? Okay? And here the scripture says that the power of sin is the law. The the thing, the authority that's holding us captive and making us die is the law. Because the law pronounces that the wages of sin is death. The just payment for sin is death. Okay, so in that sense, the power of sin, which makes us die, is the judgment that the law pronounces on us for sinning. And when we sin, we're transgressing the law. Are you with me? Okay? So it's important then to understand what is taking place here. Okay? What is taking place is the consequences that the law pronounces on sin are being commuted. Okay? That's why salvation is being spoken of as life, in the context of the New Testament, the teaching of Jesus. It's it's he 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 synonymously speaks of salvation as the giving of life, right? He's the Prince of Life, and and he he speaks of salvation in these terms in many different ways, right? It's it's eternal life. In other words, you're no longer gonna die. There's no longer any death. Why? Because the penalty of the law has been commuted. The consequences wiped away. So if the law can no longer kill you or slay you, then you have nothing left but to live. Are you with me? Okay? And so it's important to understand this thing about pardon. And what you're being pardoned from. The principle of a pardon is, you're released from the consequences of the law. And in the case of salvation, right, you're being released from the consequence of the law, which is death. Okay? And so, this is important to understand. Look at the way Paul words it in Romans 8, verses 1 and 2. He says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why, Paul? For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus. What is that? That's the Gospel. Okay? The law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. You understand? The pardon which comes to us through Christ by faith sets us free from the consequences of the law which has condemned us to death. You understand? The consequences have been foregone, which are death. Okay? You got it? That's the idea of pardon. And it's interesting, these words, right? The law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set... You free. You see, with a pardon, you go free. With a pardon, you're no longer held in bondage. You've been set free. Free from what? Free from the law. Now, I want you to think about this. God is the lawgiver. And He is the judge. And He's also the one who justifies. Okay? Okay? So tell me who's going to give the final answer. Right? Tell me who the final authority is. Tell me who the highest appeal goes to. Are you with me? And it's something that He carries out. It's an act of God's free grace. Wherein He pardons all of our sins. Are you with me? Glorious. Glorious truth. It's just an amazing thing. Your sins are are nothing in Christ. They're wiped away. That's why in the scripture it says that he removes them as far as the east is from the west. Do you know what that means? Have you ever thought about what that means? Let me ask you a question. How far is the east from the west? Somebody please tell me. You'll never get there. They can no longer be found. They have been removed. Are you with me? You got a guilty conscience this morning? Here's what you need to do. Go to the cross and cling to the Lord Jesus Christ and wash your guilty conscience clean. It's not in you. Okay, look. What's in you is the sin that got you in trouble in the first place. So that's the recognition of repentance, right? I am a sinner. I won't even lift my eyes toward heaven, but beat my breast saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner, right? In the recognition of faith, we're saying we're wretched sinners, right? But we're looking to God for His mercy, for His pardon, for His justification. And guess what? That's exactly what He gives to those who ask for it. Right? So, if God removes the consequences of your sin, what then of your guilt? Are you with me? What then of your guilt? Well, the guilt may remain. The guilt may still be there. But since it has no consequence or no penalty left, it's canceled. It can't accomplish no thing. It's a nothingness at this point. Why? Why? Because whatever the consequence of guilt is, has been wiped away. Are you with me? This is a glorious truth, family. This is what it means that God pardons all our sins. This does not mean we are not guilty, but that the consequences of our guilt have been foregone or remitted, paid in full by our Redeemer. This is called expiation. Okay? This is this is a glorious thing. These truths about justification, family. This is the heart of the gospel right here. Okay, guilt removed is called expiation. It's a theological term. You know what it means? Guilt removed. <laughs> okay, guilt removed. It's expiation. Our guilt then can remain no longer. It is removed by way of its penalties and consequences being pardoned by the judge. You understand what we're saying? So if your sin got you in the big trouble and now the consequence is death and the lawgiver and judge comes along and says, you know what, I'm taking away that consequence, death no longer remains. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. They stand with no condemnation. There's no penalty any longer to loom over their heads or to hold them in bondage, in captivity, in prison. Okay? That consequence is removed. Okay? Therefore, is their guilt removed? Their guilt can, can no longer do anything to harm. It, can no, it, has, it, it can't refer back to the law anymore and say, they must be judged, they must die. Guilt is removed of its voice in pardon. Okay? That's something that happens in justification. Why? Because God is pardoning our sins. He's taking away the consequences of sin. He's taking away the penalties of sin. Okay? They don't exist anymore. Expiation. Guilt removed. This pardon of justification is a declarative act on the part of God. It is a final pronouncement of the commuting of the sentence of death. Okay? So here's the deal. God is not saying that you're not guilty. He's simply saying that he is pardoning you from the consequences of your guilt. Okay? And when he does that, it's a declarative act. In other words, what he's saying is, I count you now justified. He declares, he makes a pronouncement. Okay, so here's the deal. You go through the tribunal, all the attorneys show up, right? And um, it's decided that you are a guilty sinner, and the wages of sin is death, right? But then all of a sudden, our advocate shows up and says, wait a minute here, God, time out. I realize she's a sinner, I realize he's a sinner. I realize that the consequences are death. But I paid that penalty in full. It's been paid for. It's, 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 it is finished. It's summed up in the debt that I paid. And so therefore I am buying them back. I'm redeeming them from that penalty of death. And on that basis, I want you to declare them justified. So what does God do? declares us justified. And here's what Jesus says. He says, He who the Son sets free is... Free, indeed. free how? Indeed. You know what that means, right? That means free for sure. Are you with me? And I want you to understand what it is that's for sure. Free. You understand what free is? Free, free means no more bondage. Free means no more condemnation. Free means no more punishment. No more consequences. No more penalties. You're free. Are you with me? Isn't there just this nagging thing inside you in your flesh that just says, it's too good to be true. I can't be let off the hook like that. I don't know about you, but I got that little wicked guy in there. Keeps raising up his ugly head. Right? Right? And I got a sword by which to hack him to bits. Are you with me? And and that's the whole point of it, family. This is what God has done. He has utterly removed the consequences and the penalties that the law declares upon us because of our guilt. He has dealt with our sins with finality. And here's how he does it. He declares us righteous. On the basis of what Christ has done. Are you with me? He declares us righteous. So here's this other thing you have to understand about justification. It's a forensic term, a legal term, that's talking about a declarative act by God. God declares us to be righteous. Okay? It doesn't mean that we're not a sinner. We are a sinner. That's why we need to be justified. Okay. However, when God declares us righteous, it is a final pronouncement coming from our only lawgiver and judge. Are you with me? And so it's a final declaration of God, a final pronouncement of the commuting of our sentence, and therefore we're set free from the wages of sin, which is death. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. And there is therefore now no condemnation for them who are in Christ. (laughs) Amen? You with me? Okay. The uh, catechism goes on and accepts us as righteous in his sight only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us. Now think about what's being said here. Justification is an act of God's free grace. Right? It's an act of God. It's an act of his free gracious character, right? Wherein he pardons, he removes the consequences of our guilt and therefore our guilt, right? pardons all of our sins, look here, and accepts us. You see that? And accepts us. So, he takes away all the consequences and the guilt of our sin, and then he accepts us. He accepts us as righteous in his sight. Okay? But look here. That doesn't mean you are righteous. It just means that he accepts you as righteous in his sight. Okay? How? Only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us. You see that? The basis of all these things that God is doing is is the work of Christ and the person of Christ. Okay? That's why he himself is our salvation. He Himself is our righteousness. He Himself is our justification. He Himself is our sanctification. He is all those things and we are in Him. Okay? And so this is the basis on which God accepts us. But family, you need to understand something. You are accepted by God. Or in the words of Ephesians 1... Accepted in the beloved, in the loved family of God. You're one. God has taken you in and accepted you. Okay? Accepted by God. So justification means, in one sense, accepted by God. Okay? Yes, God has accepted you. Not because you're good. Not because you deserve it. But because Christ is good and because Christ deserves it. Are you with me? Free. Free. What devil in hell is going to bring a charge against you? Which one? (coughs) It's God who justifies. If God before us, then who is against us? Shall nakedness or famine or peril or sword, right? Name your poison, right? What is going to stand against those whom God has chosen and those whom God has justified and those whom God will glorify? You see, salvation is wholly the work of God. So rest, okay, will you? Will you finally rest? Rest. Rest. Don't let any religion doctor beat you over the head any longer. Okay? Salvation is in Christ and it's on the basis of what He has done. You're simply a mourner in Zion clinging to His cross. Sorry that you sinned and happy that you've been released from its penalty. Are you with me? We're those mourners who leap for joy. That's the paradox of salvation. Right? You with me? Okay? Okay. Glorious. Glorious things of thee are spoken. Would you agree? Okay, then. Apart from the removal of the consequences and subsequently our guilt, we are also credited with a positive righteousness in this justification. We are said to now possess the righteousness of God. This righteousness means right standing with God or acceptable in his sight. Remember, he accepts us. He accepts us as righteous in his sight, okay? Because the penalties of sin have been satisfied by Christ's payment at Calvary, Calvary We are free from any accusation or blemish of any kind. Okay? Here's the deal. Here's Sean, right? And he comes into God's courtroom, and there he is right there, and guess what? He's got all these blemishes and sins piled high to the mountaintops. Sins. Thousands of sins. You're with me? If you're anything like me, it's thousands. Okay? Millions is a good term. Yes. Zillions. True? Amen. Okay? True. True. <laughs> this is the truth. Okay? But Colossians 1.22 says, But now He has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in His sight without blemish and free from accusation. You understand what that means? Here's what that means. I'm still there in the sight of God. But guess what? All the blemishes and all the accusations have been removed. And there I stand in the sight of God. Not one accusation to my charge. Not one blemish on on my record. You understand? It's on this basis that we are accepted by God as righteous in His sight. Why? Because there isn't any unrighteousness in us left. It's all been removed. It's all been expiated. Okay? Now, we're going to get to the mechanics of that here in in a week or so, Lord willing, where we'll talk about how He does that. Okay? Because you remember God does everything just. Right? He doesn't just decide, well, I'm going to wipe them loose, right? Those sins get paid for. Every last one of them. Okay? But the fact of the matter is, This is how God accepts us. He removes all the accusations and all the blemishes. Okay? Now, this righteousness is the righteousness that God both requires and provides in Christ. Now, think about this. God, being the judge and being the lawgiver, has laid down the standard for what he requires. Okay? He's also the one who comes along and provides that right standing and that righteousness according to that law. So that when God accepts us as righteous in his sight, how righteous do you suppose that means we are? Perfectly righteous in the sight of God. Perfectly righteous in the sight of God. Okay? Here's how the New Testament describes it. 1 Corinthians 1:30 But by his doing you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption that just as it is written let him who boasts boast in the Lord. Now look what it says about righteousness here. It is a righteousness who came or which came from God. Do you see that? God provides the righteousness that he requires. <clears throat> It comes from Him. It's perfect, family. You're accepted in the sight of God, not because you're good. On the contrary, you're not good. No. Right? You remember the little R.C. Sproul CD? Simul Eustace et Picotter. Anybody hear that part? Remember that? Simultaneously just and sinner. Right? You're still a sinner, but God declares you just. Right? glorious how about Romans 5.19 for though as through one man's disobedience the many were made sinners even so through the obedience of the one the many will be made righteous Okay. how will you be made righteous in the sight of God through the obedience of the one through the righteousness of Christ how does he accept us As the catechism states, only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us. It's a free gift in the context of Romans 5. It's the free gift of righteousness that he gives through the obedience of the one. Amen? You with me? Or 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. And here the scripture going so far as to say we have become the righteousness of God in Him. That's how clean you are washed, family. Washed clean of all the accusations and all the blemishes and then guess what? A robe of righteousness to cover over the perfect righteousness of Christ, acceptable in the sight of God. Amen? Amen? You with me? It's complete, is it not? You understand what I mean when I say you can rest now? Isn't any work you have to do. This is the work of God. Believe on the one he has sent. Amen? It's too good, but it's true. <laughs> Let's pray. God, our Father, we know that this is a supernatural truth, that, God, it is, it is hard to grasp in our earthly selves. But, Lord, your Holy Spirit lives in us, and he gives us deep insight into this matter. I pray for everyone within the sound of the hearing of my voice, that, God, these words would set them free. And that, God, they would begin to understand the great freedom that they have in Christ, having all of their sins pardoned and canceled and now being accepted in Your sight, God, because of the righteousness of Christ. I pray, Father, that You give us insight to understand and, moreover, to treasure this Christ, Jesus our Lord, to treasure Him, And God, to to begin to understand all that He has done for us and to rejoice and be glad in it. God, if You would do this thing in us, we would be a people of amazing joy. And so I pray that You'd work it deep in our hearts, God, and that it would overflow into good service and, 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 and testimony flowing from our mouths of Your goodness and of Your grace. We honor you and we bless you this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.